It's something, but it ain't that. No. Good, isn't it? (laughs) True. But anyways, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we talk about all things antique and collectibles. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. And plus a little more. And a little more. Yep. Aram's had a very colorful life, and I'm happy to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) But anyways... We are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. We've got two locations, one just outside of Oklahoma City in Bethany, Oklahoma at Rink Gallery. Another one in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia at Oldies But Goodies. Shout out to John and Kathy. Yes. Woot woot. Yes, and we're all praying for Kathy. So she she had some medical things, and so she's on the mend. She's on the mend, and she's doing great, and we yes, love her. she is. We love you. We do. She's really a sweetheart. Fantastic. She really is. Love them. Also, if you guys want to hear from them. John's uh, okay, too. Yeah, he's, he's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. <laughs> I like John. But if you guys want to hear from them, uh, check out some, in our earlier episodes. We actually did an interview with them, and they talk about their shop and kind of the passion that they have for antiques and how they got into the business, and it's a really they have a really really great story they're very very fan they're fantastic people oh yeah uh, we are also supported by the wgsn db going solo network it is a fantastic network with lots of wonderful creators content providers and shows and we are happy to be a part of it and we're happy <laughs> happy days happy days oh happy day oh, I, I don't think i sit here and get ridiculed that's just what I do. Yeah, he'll, he'll get over it. I, yeah, eventually, one day. Whenever I can afford therapy. <laughs> if anybody needs therapy in this relationship, it's your mother. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, well, everybody could do with a little therapy, I'm sure. You know, if you survive three boys, the husband that's deployed 90% of the time, <laughs> you just shut it. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, they, you know what? I love my boys though. I would not trade them for the world. I, I don't have girls. I've never had girls, obviously. I don't really even know what I'd do with a girl, but I do love my boys. Yeah. And you are also fortunate that only one of your boys played baseball for a while. This is true. Kale played baseball for a little while. Oh, you know what? Kale did play baseball. And yeah. He was actually he was pretty good. darn good. He too. was good. Yeah. yeah. He played baseball in high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was very he was a good little player. Yeah, well, it's a, that's a good about, that's yeah. a that's a good sport for him too. That's his, a lot of well, he, he, he's very methodical. Yeah, but he he's good with with a lot of sports. So, um, yeah, yeah no, he, he's he's a very talented guy. Yeah, yeah, he really is. But yeah, he did play baseball um, in high school for mm-hmm. a little while, and yeah, he was good at it, and it was fun. That was a lot of fun. Of course, the games are timed. Yes. So you know, they weren't really long games yeah. or anything. They weren't like the professionals where you got nine innings. No, uh-uh. no, but they were fun. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun with that one. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Those games, those those are great games. And we, speaking of baseball. We started off last week in our baseball card series, and as I mentioned last week, you know, baseball cards have been a passion of mine since I was about 10 years old is when I started getting into them, and they're really unique, and they they started out as advertisements, of course, like many of the collector's items that quote unquote that we see today that are vintage and antiques. A lot of them started off as marketing campaigns or, or anti or sorry, excuse me, advertisement campaigns. And a lot of them were some of the first, you know, nationally 
produced or distributed advertising things or platform. They were some of the first ways to nationally advertise because a lot of these companies, a lot of companies back in the, back in the late 19th century or early 19th century, they were very localized. There wasn't a lot of these national or these huge international conglomerate corporations. They just, they just very few of those existed. And so a lot of money to take across the pond, you know, exactly. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a lot of money to ship things and also to ship things from one country to another back then would take anywhere. I mean, it still is today. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's still a lot of money, However, you can, the ships nowadays are massive. Well, yeah, they're I mean, set up for it now and they have technology and all that kind of right. stuff. But the, yeah, the, the technology that we have now to, to ship things back and forth is if they get it considerably through. different. Yeah. The computers and, and, you know, since there are people, when there's people, there'll be errors. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, the computers may be flawless, but you're always going to have the human element. Yeah. You know, I'm referring to my poor little son. Oh, my no. youngest, my youngest who is, is, uh, now, um, uh, deployed to Alaska, doing a tour in Alaska, and whose furniture and shipment left the first part of December. Oh, yeah. And then it got lost. Yep. <laughs> and now they have finally found it. So, and he might be there mid-March, maybe first of April, but meanwhile, this poor kiddo is living in his apartment on an air mattress with a frying pan and a spatula. And he won't get a new air mattress. And the air mattress he currently has has a hole in it that lets all the air out every 30 minutes. But he does have heated floors in this apartment because it is Alaska. Yeah, it is Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) But I just feel so bad that he's been sitting there, you know, since January when, you know, they, they pick up your furniture at least a month to a month and a half before you leave to, you know, to take it. Um, especially on what they consider an overseas assignment, but even though it's Alaska, mm-hmm. is part of the United States. It's just it's not part of the lower forty-eight, right? So it it should have been there by the time he got there. It was supposed to arrive around the time he got there before he got there, but it got lost in shipping in yep. Richmond. In Richmond, so forty-five minutes from the house, and and what was well, I guess what was sad was that he wa- he wanted me to drive up there with him and just you know. In December, January, and I said, honey, that is, that is not smart. I mean, to, you know, of course, Canada is mad at us now, so they're kind of a little testy at the border, but, um, but wintertime, driving through Canada and all up through, the, up through that Alaskan highway. He lives not too far from Denali Forest right. in the North Pole, literally in the North Pole. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's just not smart to drive no. a trailer, but, but I told him, I said, I guess maybe I ought to have done it because I'm pretty sure I could have made it in three months. <laughs> Probably could have made it before three months. I would think so. Even if I went five miles an hour through the whole thing, I yeah. hopefully made it. But well, you never the, know. the problem was too, though, that that road, especially this time of year, is treacherous. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, definitely. it. It's a lot like traveling in the in the early 19th century. Yeah. Except for, you know, I mean, you do have a heated vehicle. However, you know, there are only gas stations every. They're seasonal. Yeah. There's seasonal gas stations <laughs> and there are, there's, and, and those seasonal gas stations obviously are only open seasonally and there's hundreds of miles in between them. Right. So, you know, you, I will say, I mean, they say that a lot of the roads um, are much better than they used to be. Yeah. But, you know, that being said, 
pretty much when you start out on that Alaskan highway and whatnot, you, you need to, you need to prepare as if you were walking into the apocalypse. Yeah. You need to have yeah. extra gas. You better have extra full size tires, not donuts, full size tires. Right. And food. Food, and, you know, blankets, sleeping. I mean, it's everything. basically, it's basically like you're going on a hike and using your vehicle as, you know, like a trail vehicle. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. Yeah. But, you know, in the summertime, taking it slow and steady, it's a beautiful, it, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful drive, for sure. I mean, yeah. that part of the country is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous. That part of the world, I will say, it's not part of our country, but. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. So. Definitely. We were talking about baseball cards last week. And I wonder how they play baseball in Alaska, but they have to lo- use like a green ball or something. Uh, Probably uh, <laughs> not. <laughs> I'm just saying, if they're playing out in the snow, you can't play with a white ball. Yeah. Well, it's no. It's I mean, it's white ball with red threads, but I yeah, you can't really find those. Yeah. So probably like a green ball or something. Probably the neon ones. Neon. They have the neon green baseballs. That's right, and golf balls. And golf balls. Well, they have they they have the well. I, at least I saw on Snow Dogs whenever I was really little. <laughs> they were playing. They were playing with uh, like the neon and like red and green golf balls. Okay. For any golf ball person that's like an inventor and I need to, I need credit for this. You know, maybe like a little money too wouldn't hurt, <laughs> but I think that you should create a golf ball mm-hmm. that when it goes to wherever golf balls go in the wide, wide little fairway and they can't find them again, that you could have like some kind of homing thing where you would push it and it would like send up a little smoke signal. <laughs> Like you a know, hologram like a, or something. Yeah, it'd like like it would have a little smoke come up, like hot pink smoke or something. And it was like, woohoo, here I am. Or you could have like a little GPS embedded in it. Yes, that could go to your phone. Yes, so you could just drive right to it. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you're just out there with a lot of a lot of other people's balls that got lost too. Anyway, I digress. Yes, we digress. So before we were talking about baseball cards and we started to get into the baseball card classifications because you might see some weird letter classification system to help catalog different years and types of baseball cards. The system was first developed by Jefferson Burdick, author of the American Card Catalog, first published in 1939. So here's some of the more popular categories. So some have actually changed over time and there, and there are more, but this is a good kind of guide to that list. Cards marked D are cards distributed with bakery items. Cards marked E are early candy and gum cards. Cards marked F are cards packaged with food. Cards marked with an M are cards packaged with magazines and newspaper. N are 19th century tobacco cards. R are recently, recent candy and gum cards, so those would be post-1930. And T are 1900 and later tobacco cards, and W are strip cards. Strip cards. Mm-hmm. We'll get into like that. For strippers? Uh. I can't even imagine where that would be a good thing. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's advertising. You don't know? My little boy's turning red. Uh, I'm not. That's what he just wants you to believe. That's not. Whatever. That's not mm-hmm. But another popular set of the pre-1900 <laughs> tobacco cards, to that. move along past that topic, 
<laughs> is the Goodwin Champions, also known as the N162 set, which, like the N28 set that we talked about last week, features an advanced look into commercial color printing of the day. The set is a beauty to behold, as the colors are really breathtaking considering the age of the cards. So the N162 set is... They're like, like I said, they're the pre 1900 tobacco cards and they are kind of a printed picture. So it's not, it's not an actual photograph. It's kind of like a painting depiction of the photographs that were taken, which is interesting. And a a lot of the tobacco cards went this route, especially in the pre 1900, um, because obviously back then, the photography wasn't as easily accessible and was a lot more expensive. So they'd take a pick one picture of the player and then an artist would paint the picture of that picture. They would color it in. No, no, they would paint the picture of, of the picture. Yeah. And that would be, that would be what they would print on all the cards. So only eight baseball players are actually featured in that set as a 50 cards in total were produced with other cards featuring billiards players, marksmen, and even, even the strongest man in the world because the strongest man in the world competition was going on all the way back then. While the non-baseball cards can be found for under a hundred dollars, which I think is interesting because I mean, yes, baseball, baseball cards are inherently collectible and there is a huge community of baseball card collectors. Sure. However, if you think about the card's value in its rarity, would you think a world's strongest man card from the 1890s would be? I would think it would be because, more, it, yeah, I guess I would think it would be because of, uh, you know, I really had never heard of and I don't know much about the strong man. The world's Compet- strongest man competition. Yeah, competition. Um, so I would probably think that maybe there weren't as many people that were kind of into that. Well, I think it's different I mean, compared to it's baseball. Comparatively, it's also different uh based on the country. Because well, yeah. even 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 in, even now the world's strongest man competition like in the UK and in other some other European countries uh I I guess UK is not European anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> we are post Brexit, folks. I guess so. But anyways, UK and European countries, I'll make that disclaimer, uh, or delineation, excuse me. The World's Strongest Man competition is so much more, I would say, revered than it is in the US. I mean, the World's Strongest Man competition in the US is only, is, is only televised whenever it's at the national level. Or I don't think I've ever seen the that. national or inter- international level. And so it'll only come on the actual cable television maybe once, once or twice a year. I, I think even less in frequency. So, but in the UK and Europe, the world's strongest man regionals and so on and so forth, those are all televised all the way up to national and international, the national and international arena because People are so much more interested in it sure, as a sport sure. and so on. But back in the 1890s, whenever, I mean, it really was a fledgling, you know, sport. I, sure. I do think that there's an element of not only nostalgia, but I guess, yeah, rare, rarity would be the best way to say it. I mean, that's, that's what I would think is just because it's, 
it's a, not one of the mainstream sports. Right. So, you know, kind of anytime you don't have something mainstream, yeah. there's only a little bit made, you know, there's not, production is limited. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so if you've got something like that, you may not have, you know, they, they're just not going to make as many, which obviously makes them more rare, which to me would make them more expensive now. It would, it would make sense, but at the same time, if nobody wants them, nobody wants them. So, I mean, it's, it's true. supply and demand. That's true. But like I said, you know, might want them now because you never know. That's true. But it's That's only true. as expensive or worth as much as somebody else is willing to pay. That's so. exactly it. Yeah. So and back to that. Well, those non-baseball cards, they're they're usually they usually can be found for under a hundred dollars. Which again, like we said, you know, a fifty dollar card, you don't buy like a fifty dollar piece of paper every day. That's true. But at the but if you're talking about a collectible piece, fifty dollars is not a lot to spend. Right. That's true. The baseball, the baseball player cards are quite popular and those usually, usually sell for over $500. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those are really, really cool. And those cards, like I said, are the ones that are the painted portrait of sure. the pictures. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and those are pre 1900 tobacco cards. The PSA actually, and uh, we talked about PSA and what they are and what they do in last week's episode. So if you missed that, go back there and check it out. PSA notes that only 54 of Kelly Kelly's cards from the set have been graded. Cap Anson, also a Hall of Famer, is the most valuable card in the set. PS in the set. PSA also notes that the sixty Anson cards have been graded. So, moving on from this, Michael King Kelly. Michael King Kelly wrote baseball's first autobiography called "Play Ball: Stories of the Ball Field in 1888." That's cool. Mm-hmm. Really neat. Great. Great book. Definitely recommending getting a copy. Book collecting is a whole nother thing. Uh, oh. first, first editions of this book on top of having a baseball card collection of pre 1900 tobacco cards with this as the backdrop. That would just be a really cool collection. Oh, I think, yeah. yeah. If absolutely. you were to, if you were to get a first edition of, of Michael King Kelly's, um, play ball stories of the ball field in 1888 and then have the full, um, baseball team. In the full N162 set of the pre-1900 tobacco cards by Goodwin, like that would be an amazing collection. An amazing collection. Definitely. Definitely. So, but Kelly, he's also considered to be the Babe Ruth of his time. He invented the hit and run while also developing the double steal and infield shift. In 1887, Kelly hit a Point three nine four, and of course, this is where you lose me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I've collected baseball cards, like I said, since I was ten. Still, don't really understand the statistics behind the, R- yeah. the RBIs and all that. I know it's simple. I really do. I just have not, and it's, and, and maybe it's, it's, it's definitely a fault think, of mine. I think that that probably needs to be one of your special projects. It's, now. it's a fault of mine that I have not taken the time to learn it. <laughs> This is true. But, and I, but I do understand the next part, which is that he stole 84 bases from the Boston Bean Eaters. I understand that. I understand that. And I do love that they used to be called the Boston Bean Eaters. Yeah, I was saying that is funny. <laughs> I went, to, I graduated from Boston University and that, that's a hoot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Green machine. Mm-hmm. 
1890, the major U.S. cigarette companies joined forces, resulting in the formation of the American Tobacco Company and included Goodwin & Co. along with Allen & Ginter, among other cigarette brands. So the company soon became known as the Tobacco Trust, given its near monopoly on the cigarette market at the time. Which is huge. Oh yeah. You know, that, that was basically the merger of all merger, mergers for, because like we were saying, these national corporations, national conglomerate corporations were not a thing back then. Right. The, these titans of industry and the guys that were making, you know, insane amount of, amounts of money back then, they were, they were the first of their time. And of course, think back then too, like these guys weren't, didn't have income tax. So, uh- People, so these people back then that were coming up with these deals. Those were the days. You know, they, they, that was a different, that was whenever rich, rich became like a real thing. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that was because of the influence that they had on culture and baseball cards played a huge role in that. Right. They, baseball cards and the business and culture around baseball and the amount that people invested their time and energy and love into that sport really shaped a lot of American business mm-hmm. as well as, um, as well as the culture. Right. You know, and I think that even, in, even from a political, political perspective, what baseball and baseball cards and what those advertising agents and marketing agents of that time did to American culture changed the course of history. Okay. You know, if you look, if you look at it from, if you look at it from that perspective, those, those, those people that were working in the field, in that field at that time really did change the way that capitalism worked. Yeah. They changed the way that they changed the way uh, of making money. They changed the way of the livelihoods of like a ways of making money was different after that. Yeah. Well, yeah, making money, but then you know they opened up so many more advertising things. They so, opened I up mean, so many, so many avenues, avenues for different creative types and also yeah. business types to put forward and conglomerate on ideas that allowed for such a massive scale of revenue making. Oh yeah, revenue yeah. generation. Yeah. So. And back. they still do. I mean, back then, though, it was also the teams. And so now we still have the teams, but we have the individuals. Right. So and the individuals can go out and get endorsements and their own brand of advertising. Yeah. Um, separate well, from the team. Well, so the, it, it, uh, it was individuals at that point, but the individuals still, the endorsements were not necessarily as, they, they, the endorsements were not around yet. They were, right. They were, forming into that this this is the this move yeah this is the precursor like that move is kind of what made endorsements and things of that likeness possible well that's what i'm saying right yeah so the business was soon a a target of regulators and was forced to dissolve due to his monopolistic nature interestingly enough from the formation of the tobacco trust in 1890 until the dissolution in 1909 there were very few tobacco cards produced given to the lack of competition there wasn't really a need for incentives to help promote cigarette sales so that that's the you know that's the problem that is the problem with monopolies and that's why 
capitalism at that level, like monopolies are not allowed and can't can't work in a capitalist society because if there's no competition, then there's no need for innovation. Right. That's true. The golden era of baseball cards. We'll talk about that next. So it was from 1909 to 1915. And of course, that's right after the tobacco trust ended. (laughs) While there is no real official classification for the era following the lull in production for tobacco cards between 1890 and 1909, some I've seen refer to it as the golden era of cards. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we are going to get into that right after this break. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about baseball cards. Yes, and we are. we are supported by Hip and Humble LLC. Hip and Humble Antiques LLC, excuse me. If you're not following us, following us on Instagram, first of all, you should be. Second of all, please do. It's hipn.humble. That's hipn.humble. Also, if you really like what we, what we do and you want to support us in some way, please consider leaving us a tip on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash hipandhumble. Also, we are supported by the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. This network is a fantastic resource with wonderful creators, and we are such so happy to be a part of it. Yes, we are. All right. So before we left, we were talking about baseball cards and the effect that baseball card co- or companies that profited off of advertising baseball cards, advertising through baseball cards had on American culture. And then we segued from there to the golden era of baseball cards. Yes. So... David Cycleback, who is one of baseball, uh, who was a baseball collector who uses this terminology of the golden era of baseball cards. He, I highly suggest checking out his blog for some of the fantastic work on the subject. So if you guys really are looking to look more into baseball cards and their worth and their history, it's, it's a fantastic rich history and it's constantly being updated because so much research has gone into it. And that's the thing about history, you know, no matter how long you look at the past, it will never change. Sure. But very true. But there are so many things that go into every moment in time. I mean, if you think about it, there's at this moment in time right now, there are approximately 7 billion people doing something specific that is affecting everyone around them and everyone that loves them and Everyone that works for them or that they work for, every single person at this moment in time is doing something that is affecting other people around them. And there's, with that amount of input, there are so many stories to go along with and to use to interpret that moment in time. Well, and we're also defined by our history. 
Yes. I mean, you know, when you meet a person for the first time, you know, one of the first things is, especially here in the United States, maybe not in other countries, but first thing they're going to say is, well, where are you from? Yeah. Because where are you from kind of helps with your history. <laughs> it does. You know, it, it, establish, it establishes a background. It establishes a background and kind of, and you know what, you can stereotypes, you can say whatever you want about stereo, stereotypes, but everybody depends on stereotypes to uh, figure well, it, people it, out. It is. I mean, it's how you make sense of a person. I wouldn't say it's necessarily how you define them. Well, if and I tell I, you that I'm from Texas, automatically you get a picture of somebody that you think from Texas. Yeah. Versus if I say I'm from Maine, I got a whole nother picture. You know, in Texas, I got a guy in a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. If I say I'm from Maine, I got a guy in one of those little beanie caps with the snow boots up and maybe like a fly fisherman or something like that. Yeah, fly fisherman in Maine. Interesting. Yeah, I think they they do like fly fishing. I'm sure they there. I'm sure they do. They do fly fishing everywhere. I mean, they do a lot of well, but I mean, I don't know, Maine lobster and all that kind of stuff. But if I tell you Yeah, you, you don't I'm catch from, you don't catch lobsters with fly fish, Mom. I know. But they do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Versus smart butt. <laughs> if I tell you I'm from Oregon. Right. So, you know, if I just, just doing that, those are just, uh, they're stereotypes mm-hmm. that, okay, now I'll give you, you know, points you in a general direction. Right. No, now, I, know I what mean, you mean, obviously everybody's different, interval, blah, 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 but we still, have, we still use those stereotypes to start to define who this person is. I, I would agree with that. I would say, however, that we're not necessarily defined by our past. We are defined by those around us. I think, I think we're without, more, I think, without the history and without that, you you can't look at the people around you. History is always going to be part of who you are. Yes, yes. It's How, always I mean, going to be part of the definition. Y- yes, but I but I, what I'm saying is I think that well, a lot of times we're defined by other people. Well, of course. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course, there's no standard. Like, there, like your perce- like other people's perception of you is, well, one way to, I guess, understand where you need to grow. Because if you, well, I'm not talking about growing. I'm not talking about deep philosophical thoughts. I'm just saying that that is one of the first things people will always ask: is where are you from? Where are you from? And what do you do? Yeah, no, I agree and with that. That. that that history and that stereotype is what kind of defines you. And a lot of those stereotypes are real. I mean, is there always an exception to the case? Yes, there's always one. Well, I mean, you absolutely. can find an exception absolutely. to anything, but, yeah, I, but the I, exceptions I t- I t- don't define the rules. No, not at all. And I tend to agree with you, too. I mean, if you if you ask somebody from Texas or from Maine, you know, if they're from Maine, uh, generally that's a point of pride, too. Oh, yeah, I didn't you know say it I mean? wasn't. I there's absolutely nothing wrong with either state that I know of. Um, no, absolutely not. No, there's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of it. Yeah. I mean, it, and you could do that with the with a job. You know, yeah. a lot I, of people define themselves by their job, though. And yeah, and I will say that that a job doesn't necessarily define you as a person. No, but it gives you a. Cl- you're trying to make this very philosophical, and it just. I'm not making it philosophical. Well, I'm just I'm trying just to offer a different perspective is all. It's not a different perspective. It's not a big, long philosophical thing, dear. It's <laughs> just, it's just stereo, stereotypes. When you go to the movies and stuff, when they start to define the characters in a movie, 
So if I go in and this movie star is a waitress in the desert, yeah. you kind of have a clue of what's going you know, who she is. Yeah. Fair so enough. that's what I'm saying. It's a stereotype. It's, yeah, absolutely. Okay, movie, I, I see. Movies, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Movie, providing providing background, right? Right. And that's always going to be a part of who you are. That's your history. Yeah, I agree. So, back to David Cycleback. So, if you guys want to learn more about baseball card collections and their and its history and background, to find out the stereotypes, evidently of <laughs> baseball card collecting. I highly suggest check, being a smart <laughs> checking out his blog for some fantastic work. So tobacco card companies were back at it again after the, or in, in the era baseball cards, golden era following the breakup of the, of the American tobacco company or the big conglomerate monopoly of the tobacco companies. The landmark set of the era is fab, the fabled T T zero six set, which was issued from 1909 to 1911. The cards are often referred to as the white border set, given the white border surrounding the lithograph of each player. And these, these were major, the majority of these cards were the player cards. I mean, they had the team's cards, but this, by this point in American history in, and in the history of baseball cards, the majority of the cards coming out, at least the ones of value were those of individual players, which obviously paved the way for individual players receiving considerable recognition and having varying salaries and endorsements and so on and so forth. So this kind of paved the way for a lot of that. Cards, those, these cards were included in packs of 15 cigarettes and 15 cigarette brands still owned by American Tobacco. Each pack had a very different advertisement for one of the tobacco companies, leading to multiple variations for each player in the set. While the regular checklist consists of 524T206 cards, there are over 6,000 front and back variations, leading to why some have called the T206 the monster of baseball card sets. The Honus Wagner from the set is actually instantly recognizable by even the novice collector and is referred to by some as the quote unquote Mona Lisa of baseball, of the baseball card industry. The rarity of the card is due to the American tobacco pulling production of his card early in its run. So the Honus Wagner card from the T206 set. Guys, go, go ahead, Google that real quick if you see anything even resembling that and nab it up. <laughs> the reason for removal of the Wagner is subject to debate, but centers on either Wagner, but centers, centers on, um, two points, either Wagner not wanting to be associated with a smoking product or due to a lack of adequate compensation, because this again paved the way for endorsements and these tobacco companies were pumping money into these teams because of, uh, because they were a, being allowed to use these gentlemen's faces on their cards or in their advertisement. Right. So the Scott reader, uh, an, uh, Scott, Scott reader of inside T two T two zero six notes that there are roughly 50 to 75 Wagners in existence with only a handful in excellent or better condition. Each sale seems to break the previous record, with the most recent Wagner selling for $3.2 million wow. in 2016. Wow. So the issuance of the T206 cards caused a near mass hysteria at the time of release. 
So Scott Reeder also, he noted that the collections have become a mania. Whenever a new shipment of cigarettes is open, the small boy congregates around the stand and every purchaser is besieged and not allowed to leave until the picture has been forced from him. Despite the age of the cards, due to the widespread availability, it's not tough, aside from the Wagner, to find cards from the set. PSA notes that there are over 180,000 graded cards from the T206 set, although only 284 have been received, have received a 9 or a 10 grade. And the grading scale, again, we kind of covered this last week, but the grading scale denotes the quality of the card, meaning how well kept its condition is and so on and so forth. One being, you know, somebody kept it in their pocket when they were three years old and, you know, (laughs) buried it in dirt and, you know, three or below, you know, they buried it in dirt. Some, there's some like edges on it or burnt and, you know, whatever. Whereas 10 is like, it just came out of the cigarette pack. Right. Right. And you're not going to find, you know, like, like, like we're saying here, there was, there's over 180,000 of these cards and of the, of the, of those 180,000 cards produce only 284 that are still in existence today have a, have a grade of nine or 10. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So comments from the set can still be found graded on eBay for under $50. Okay. Yeah. So these are really cool pieces of American history. And like we, you know, we talked about, the tobacco company and what they did to kind of reach their monopoly and then being their not monopoly being dismantled and all of that, like that part of American history or that American business history is a lot of the reason that we have the regulatory bodies that we do in government that we do today. So seeing the beginning of that and, as a, as a reminder, through a baseball card is a really special thing. That's true. You know, yeah. that that's an incredible piece of history. That's an incredible background to have, and it's an incredible reminder of where we came from to get to where we are today. And it and it it also is kind of interesting to think about the snowball effect that it's had. You know, seeing the good side of a regulatory body to all the way to the other where regulations have become, you know, now regulations are, are lobbied for by these corporations so that they can continue to be more profitable than smaller businesses. So it's almost like you see, you see the beginning where regulations were, were needed and they were, they were an incredible benefit to the American people and economy and culture to the complete other side where, regulations became the beneficial to those corporations. Well, I I think and I've said now for a while that I believe that all senators and representatives need to wear those NASCAR racing suits and have Fire all suits. of their all of their sponsors, you know, on there. So that way we know which way they're going. <laughs> yep. That's a that's a whole other topic, a whole other debate. But it, I just but I it, think it's a good idea. I I, I mean I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I do not disagree. I think that would be uh it would provide a lot more clarity in American politics. It definitely would. Yes. Definitely would. We're not like the British where you know, boy they get they, parliament, they, boy they uh, you better watch out. Watching watching like British C SPAN, I mean I could I could eat popcorn and watch that all day. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas 
watching the Senate floor <laughs> in the U.S. You know, it's funny that you that you can see these pictures now. You know, obviously we're in an era of memes. Do you know there's college classes on memes now? Seriously? Seriously. On the etymology of memes. Okay. Yeah. It's an incredibly interesting topic. I would take that class in a heartbeat if I was in college still. Okay. I'm, re- I'm resisting a lot of snarky remarks. Yeah, I can feel your eyes roll. Yep. I can. Mm-hmm. I'm betting that some parent doesn't know that class exists. <laughs> Guys, if you're out there and you're in college, go ahead and take that meme class. That's It's going to be awesome. Don't tell your parent if they're paying for it. <laughs> tell them. Tell them that yeah. this, this amazing, amazing piece of culture has has opened its uh whatever to me <laughs> i'm not at a loss for words but it's a fan it would be a fantastic class to take i think it would be a hoot if it was i mean it sounds more like a joke to me but yeah. well i think i think from a historic perspective if you were pursuing are we in a historical perspective of memes yes i mean they've been around for what 20 minutes <laughs> Calm down. they've been around they've been around for a really long time and that's why that's why it's a class because if you think about a picture with it's text, a class because somebody didn't want to do extra work. No, if class. you think about if you if, even if you think about what we're talking about right now, if you think about baseball cards, baseball cards were a picture with words on it that had a specific meaning and based on the words associated with that picture. So if you're talking about memes in that con in that way or defining memes in that way, then you could all you could say that cards all the way back to baseball cards were memes. I think that you're going to great lengths to justify something. You, you might be right. That uh probably doesn't need to be justified. No, it doesn't. The class exists, so I don't need to defend it anymore. No. no. Whoever created it does, but not you. No. But I think it's a great. I think whoever did that, kudos to you. Also, we are out of time for Already? this week. I know. It just flies by. It does. It does. Aram just makes it fly by by irritating me. Of course. It's like it's like ninety percent of my job. <laughs> well, you can stop now. Alright, before I get hit with a wooden spoon, everybody stay hip. And humble. Alright, bye. Bye.